You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. I can't help but be a Trekkie. At least once every season, I'm going to have to talk about Star Trek. I just have a need to do it. Today is a very special occasion. Not only are we talking about Trek, we're talking about one of the series, Star Trek Enterprise, with someone who is a fan of Trek, but did not watch Enterprise growing up. My mouth is watering over being able to talk to somebody who likes Trek, but is not very familiar with this show. Let's start with what is your relationship with Trek? How did you get into it? What do you like about it, etc.? Well, I remember watching it when I was really, really little. I think there was like a marathon of Star Trek, and my mom actually taped all the episodes on the VHS. I would watch these little bootleg tapes of Star Trek episodes. Specifically, I always watched Arena, which is the one where Kirk fights the Gorn. And that was when I was really, really little. It wasn't until I was maybe in like high school that I started watching Star Trek more. And that was because my mom also got, for Christmas one year, the first season of the original series. And I just sat down and watched. I would say it wasn't until I started watching the original series that I became much more of a fan than just, you know, the casual, I've seen all the movies and like maybe a handful of episodes fan. Your mom was the real Trek fan in the house, and she got you into it? Her and my dad. They both watched it when it was on its original run. Of the two, I think my mom's more of the Trekkie than my father. He likes it, but he's not like a fan, but my dad doesn't really have fandoms. Neither does my mom, but I know she likes Star Trek a lot. Do you happen to know a favorite episode of hers or character besides Kirk? My mother's favorite episode of the original series is the Doomsday Machine. Ah. <laughs> she, of course, likes Spock a whole lot. She's not the biggest TNG fan, mainly because I think a lot of it had to do with when TNG and Deep Space Nine were in, especially TNG, were in their original run. It's not like they could consistently stay up and watch the show because they have kids. Same with Deep Space Nine. You know, my mom would catch episodes here and there, but wasn't a consistent watcher because of us little bastards. With how dark DS9 can get, did that turn her off at all? I remember when I was talking to her a couple years ago about it, because I was starting to watch Deep Space Nine, or I was about to. And she said that she liked how different it was, and that there was a lot more politics involved. She liked the politics of it, which I think is one of the things that turned off a lot of the other fans. My mom's always been a pretty open arms Trek fan, although after Deep Space Nine, she doesn't really watch anything other than the movies anymore. Like, she didn't watch Voyager or Enterprise. Going back to 2001, when Enterprise premiered, it sounds like you were a fan, but not an uber fan watching everything you could, which probably just means you have a more objective opinion about this stuff. Do you recall at all back when they were talking about Enterprise, maybe what you thought about it when they said it was a prequel show, or did you pay attention to it at all? If anything, I was just mainly confused about it being a prequel because here's another Enterprise, and here's an Enterprise with another Vulcan officer. I think in the original series, Spock was supposed to be the first alien who was ever in Starfleet. 
that's why it was kind of like, oh, they're changing a few things because now they have this sexy Vulcan. None of us watched it. I remember watching a clip of it when I was maybe in like high school because my brother was channel surfing one day. The only reason why he put it on because is, is there a Borg episode of Enterprise? Yeah. I think he read that online that there was a Borg episode and that's why he wanted to watch it. That episode is actually pretty tastefully done as far as continuity is concerned. I'd hope so. I mean, I think after watching this episode, the pilot, I will say that I guess like certain continuity issues that I had perceived in a technical aspect, they're not the continuity issues that I thought they were. Sweet. Nice. Well, I remember back in 2001, before the show came out, back when we were getting our film and TV news from magazines, I was at a laundromat with my dad. So I was 12, 13, and we were waiting for the clothes to get done. And I was reading an article about it. I was just thinking, ah, prequel? Why are we going backward? I would chalk that up to just me being a kid and not knowing any better because I was there for the show when it premiered and I watched it all the way through. It was my appointment viewing. So it has a special place in my heart because I had watched Trek since uh, TNG with my dad. But Enterprise was really my show where I was making a point to always watch it. And by then, you know, my dad's not a big Trek fan. So that was my thing to do. I identify with it the most. The first episode, Broken Bow, named after a place where there's a farm, and the opening shot, almost opening shot, is of a Klingon running through cornfield. What did you think of that visual? It was interesting just to see a Klingon on Earth. I don't remember them telling us exactly or around what year it's supposed to be. I know it's supposed to be about, what, 100 years after First Contact? So that puts us about 100 or so years before Kirk and his buddies' adventures. I don't believe we have star dates yet, but they do mention some decades, and you get a sense from how old Archer is and that his father worked with Zephram Cochran on the warp engine. You could kind of get a taste of the timeline. They don't say it in this episode, but later you find out that it's like 2150, 2152, something like that. Okay. I think for me, it's one of those things where knowing how many, you know, years before the original series, it is a little bit of a damper for me because I'm thinking, okay, well, this is what I remember from the continuity. With the way the episode ended, it makes me wonder how it got to the point it did with the Klingons, because I'm thinking that's going to be the end of the episode, is like, okay, like, we're about to inadvertently start a war, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was thinking it might be, or at least it's going to be something where they're going to be mad at Starfleet for bringing back a disgraced warrior or something. The Vulcans are saying, hey, look, this is the scoop. You guys don't know how these things work. All the humans are just like, hey, man, stop holding us back, you pointy-eared devils. (laughs) You pointy-eared bastards. (laughs) Exactly. So it's just, the Klingon, it was just, I think any first contact with an alien species from the other shows, I'll say, is going to be a little jarring for me just because 
I'm going to assume that that's supposed to be the first time Starfleet has ever seen these people. Oh, it definitely is from the way it's done in the show. Okay. I'm always going to be wondering, like, wait a minute, you know, like, this is... Oh, like, in the back of your head, you're going to be asking yourself, is this the first time? Is this the first time? (laughs) Or just, you know, are they going to stick with the canon? If I remember the episode correctly, in Balance of Terror, they mentioned that Starfleet had a war with the Romulans, but they never saw what any of them looked like until that very episode. So if Archer sees Romulans, then I'm going to be like, they've just rewritten the canon a bit. And if they try to explain it with, oh, I forgot what they looked like, or a memory wipe or something, it's a bit of a cop-out, but whatever, I can deal with it. Well, minor spoiler... The Romulans do factor into the show in the last season. And no, they are never face-to-face. They never see what they look like. And that's fine by me. The Romulans are always best in the shadows, those sneaky aliens. Let me back up and just give a little summary of it. This show, when it first came out, was just called Enterprise. Later, in an effort to help flagging ratings, they stuck Star Trek ahead of it. But... Enterprise, first episode, Broken Bow, aired in September of 2001, like a week or two after September 11th. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. We have the Enterprise NX-01 on its maiden voyage must get a Klingon courier back to his homeworld in order to stop a potential civil war. That's it in a nutshell, but we have all these beautiful details They don't do a great job later in the series, but at least in this first episode, they take advantage of the fact that it's a prequel. They're establishing these relationships, not only between the different aliens and humans to Vulcans, humans to Klingons, but even the relationship of humans to space travel. The beginning when, right before they're leaving space dock and they're getting ready for their first mission. How did that scene strike you? I genuinely liked that stuff in the episode where it's them discovering things for the first time. You know, when Hoshi's like, hey, is the ship shaking? Should the ship be shaking? That was nice. You know, when T'Pol's like, oh, we're 0.2 degrees off course. It's a Vulcan move. It was fun to watch it because they would be discovering all these things. Like, this is their first warp trip out of their solar system, right? They never left their own backyard, I think, as they put it. Well, they did have warp-capable ships. That one character, played by Anthony Montgomery, Travis Mayweather. He's a space boomer. He's the only character out of the crew to have been born in space. Had barely even been to Earth. Humanity has traveled outside of the solar system, but as far as any real official business a Starfleet is concerned, I don't think they have really done much outside of the solar system. It's nice to see them do everything new for the first time and learning all these things for the first time. And if it continues, that can keep the show enjoyable. But you make it sound as if this is kind of one of the only episodes where they actually do that. No, it comes back here and there. I would liken it to the way Voyager, its premise, was really something interesting. If you look at a lot of their episodes, they don't really delve in deeply enough into the fact that they're all alone on the other side of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Enterprise. 
considering it's really their first time out, at a certain point, a lot of the episodes just start to feel like, oh, this is just another Star Trek crew instead of being the first crew. I guess to be fair, it's hard to make that at least a theme in every episode, especially with like Voyager. It's just kind of like, if they made a point to make every show like that, I would get annoyed with them always mentioning that they're alone. It's like, I get it. That's the premise of the show. I do understand where you're coming from, but sometimes you just need that, I guess, breather or to treat the audience like they know what's going on, I think. After a while, considering the show ran four years, so in-universe it was about four years of them going on these journeys, they would need to shape up pretty quickly and stop complaining about being in space. Yeah. Starfleet gave them the boot real fast as soon as they had one successful mission. It's like, all right, let's just leave them there. What did you think about the way the Vulcans are portrayed in the show? Because it was a real contentious matter back when it premiered. I didn't really have an issue with it. It is strange in a way that they didn't 100% get along, but them being portrayed as these people who just kind of observed and didn't really offer too much assistance, that's pretty prime directive-y of the Vulcans. To me, it just came off as like, I mean, I, I get that that would be annoying, but it also does kind of come off as sour grapes on the humans part, but it's just, they don't understand that yet. They're going to go along and interfere with some cultures and be like, okay, maybe you guys were right. And it's not like humans roasting Vulcans is anything shocking or new. I mean, the original series, like, the end of the episodes were usually the crew making fun of Spock in one way or another for not having emotions. And he's just kind of taking it and maybe gives his barbs back. Archer has a reasonable chip on his shoulder about it if he truly felt like the Vulcans were just letting his dad flap in the wind over warp drive. Well, I don't get why back then... So many fans were up in arms about antagonistic Vulcans. You look at them in every other series, there are plenty of examples of them being antagonistic. Oh yeah, I mean, look at the Take Me Out to the Suite episode of Deep Space Nine. I just watched that a few weeks ago, and absolutely, that guy is a total jerk. He should not be in Starfleet. <laughs> yeah, Vulcans are huge jerks. It's been well established. Spock could be a pretty big jerk when he wanted to be, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... At best, they're aloof. At worst, they really think they're superior. And they let you know it. Enterprise did something that I think they should have done sooner, and they kind of did get the ball rolling with Deep Space Nine, which is when you have this utopian society where everybody loves each other, if you just keep portraying it that way the franchise is going to run out of steam. And it did. The stories just started to repeat themselves in Voyager and unfortunately with Enterprise. This episode, it starts with a flashback where we see Jonathan Archer, the captain. He's a boy, talks about Vulcans as pointy ears. This kid already has a prejudice against aliens. Mm -hmm. If this was TNG... They wouldn't allow it. You wouldn't see that sort of interplay between a human and alien species. Give them some road to travel. He starts with his preconceptions, and by the end of the episode, he's made some progress. 
He's still going to have some problems with the Vulcans, and T'Pol and him aren't going to get along on some issues. As the series goes on, we get to see these characters live with each other and start to get to that place where I believe they would have a utopia. These aliens would get along, but we got to find where that all starts. That's the interesting part of the show. That's one of the things I loved about Deep Space Nine. It wasn't always so rosy. You can kind of see the tensions of the cultures, just them being themselves. They just don't understand each other or agree all the time. I did like Archer's progress through the show, and I was hoping that if I were to continue this, it wouldn't be this night and day difference where all of a sudden he has just like the utmost respect for T'Pol, other than just maybe a plot point disagreement, you know? Oh, I'm happy to tell you, it takes about a couple seasons for them to really start to become besties. That's good to know. (laughs) And even after they're friends, they still have a lot of disagreements. That crew conflict, the fact that these guys do have gripes with each other, such as early on we see Malcolm Reed, the armory officer, complaining about the chief engineer, Trip Tucker. Stuff like that, did it put you off at all, or were you into it? It doesn't put me off, but I'm not necessarily happy about it. It's just more of like, people are going to beef. Space travel is not, or at least long-term space travel, I'll say, like, Enterprise is not standard yet. It's not something where, do they even have a ship's counselor? Would they have thought of that at this point? I think that's a big help. If I were to continue, I do hope they kind of exploit that a little bit more. Because, yeah, everyone always did get along in the other shows, except for, like, Worf pissed everyone off at some point in his shows. Was there any particular standout scene in the show for you? I really did like the scene when Archer was talking to Saren and she was telling him what's going on and why the Klingon warrior was trying to get back to Kronos. And when she said, like, a temporal civil war or something. A temporal cold war. Temporal cold war, thank you. And Archer's reaction to that, to me, was priceless because he was just kind of like, temporal? What? Like, because he's it's his first time hearing of this thing. He's like, distant future orders. He's obviously just kind of confused. And I kind of liked those moments where they had those times where it's just, they realize how fish out of water they are. Just like when Tucker and T'Pol were... I don't know where they were because they were walking around and the next thing you know, they're just kind of sitting around almost in like an alien DMV. (laughs) That alien mom was weaning her son off of the whatever he has to breathe for the first few years of his life. And he just thinks that this woman's torturing this kid, not letting him breathe. And then T'Pol's like, no, dude, this is standard for their species. Why don't you just get your head out and look past your own preconceptions? Those were my favorite points in the episode. What do you think of the set design of the show? What do you think of the actual Enterprise NX-01? So this is where my biggest issue with prequels comes into play. I liked the set design in terms of what the ship looked like. I think the design's pretty interesting for the Enterprise itself. But it being a prequel and it looking better than the shows that came before it, where it's supposed to be 100 or 200 years in the future... It's mainly just a special effects thing that, like, it looks better than the older stuff, of course. It doesn't take me out of it, it's just kind of like I'm very aware of it. It's 
funny that to us, the viewer, we have what we think is futuristic and it's a particular aesthetic. Later in the series, they actually do include original series design elements and they even tie it into an original series episode where we see a constitution class ship yeah the 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 visual of it the nx01 next to a constitution class ship that looks exactly like kirk's ship from the show they totally clash visually and if you just put them side by side as a viewer you go well that looks hokey that newer ship but when you see them next to each other and the fact that the NCC-1701 is so much bigger and the fact that in the story it's got much more advanced weapons than the NX-01. So in-universe, they're treating it like it's a big deal. It's like, oh my god, what is that thing? It really plays into just the aesthetics for us. Like the Borg cube, it's just a cube. <sighs> it doesn't look all that interesting, but... You know, it can take down a bunch of ships. If only we could divest ourselves of what we think future stuff should look like and realize that the aesthetic doesn't really matter if the technology is there in-universe. I do agree with you. It's just kind of one of those... It's weird. Oh, it is, yeah. It's hard to do sometimes. I had the same issue with the Star Wars prequels. Like, some of the Naboo technology looks better than stuff you see in Empire and, and Return of the Jedi, and so it's kind of like, all right, you know. I think a lot of people, and I'll say myself included, have that idea of the future as being, like, everything's shiny, everything's new, everything's really sleek, glossy look to it. Oh, now I really hope you will keep up with the show. I would love to hear your reaction, what you think of seeing Archer on the original 60s set of the bridge. <laughs> I love it whenever they actually try to merge the different styles together and put them side by side and just go, look guys, these two things can exist together. Who's to say in two, three hundred years, it couldn't look like the 60s again? You're right. <laughs> Everyone gets nostalgic. Talking about some of the things that really set this show apart and a few things that Maybe they didn't do so well. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the infamous decontamination scene. Seemingly, they infuse some sexiness into Trek, but the characters involved are so not being sexual that it's very discordant what they're doing with what you're actually seeing. Yeah, that scene was... I remember Paul being kind of like the new sexy girl on TV for a while because of this show. I remember this being a thing specifically. To actually finally see it, yeah, it was kind of uncomfortable. And because of how jarring it was, all the hotness that was supposed to be in there was completely gone, and so everything just seemed very gratuitous. They could have really cut that scene out. They could have had them just sit down for dinner and have that dialogue, and it would have been completely fine. I don't know why they did it the way they did it, other than just to do sex appeal. They've gone on record. That's exactly why they did it. Yeah, well, <laughs> and that's a little disappointing, but whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's entirely successful, but from a story standpoint, what I like about it is that me, with my puerile sensibility, 
I'm just seeing the perkiness of that scene. Yeah. But the characters, you know, they're co-workers, they're talking about business, nobody's licking their lips, looking at each other in their skimpy outfits, and to see them actually rub gel on each other, and for them it's not sexual, this feels like the future to some extent. The way we react now is not the way necessarily that those characters, just in that time frame, and also that the context of them being co-workers on a crew... That they're not going to look at it the same way we're going to look at it. That does make sense. I mean, look at RoboCop, right? You know, they have shared showers in that movie. And no one cares. Well, that's Paul Verhoeven. He's very progressive. Yeah, they did that in Starship Troopers too, right? In the future, it's all about joint showers and everything. We won't care anymore. There are a couple of shots throughout the series where they do that. But... They hold off on it. They don't just go crazy and say, oh, look, we're going to have sex in Star Trek now. Ah, look at this every episode. (laughs) (laughs) Now I think fans are a bit more accepting of the show, considering that, yeah, it didn't make it seven years. It was only four. They do a lot of great things with Vulcans. One of the reasons I like this show so much is they really get into Andorians. I think the Andorians might be my favorite alien race in Star Trek. And all these details, especially the fourth season, where they really tie it into the original series, just that wonderful continuity. Okay. (laughs) So is there anything in the show that you would say was really clunky or you could understand why a lot of fans back then might not have gotten into it? Um, hmm... Or maybe do you think they were overreacting? I think they were overreacting. I think if I watched this on its original run, I probably would have an opinion along the line of yours. I think where there would be, I'll say, heavy elements of nostalgia kind of influencing my judgment. Not to say that, you know, the show's crap and you're crap for liking it. I mean, we always love our first ones, right? The thing that bothered me as a fan was, well, why is T'Pol there? Spock's supposed to be the first alien in Starfleet. But, you know, T'Pol's technically not a Starfleet officer, and neither is Dr. Phlox. They're kind of more exchange officers. They love playing with the technicalities on the show, not to break canon. <laughs> with that technicality, I'm okay with it 100%, because it's like, all right, you, know, you, you got me. It's sneaky, but you got me. Like, the original series had i mean the man trap was the pilot episode i've only seen it once i remember it being okay comparing this episode to other star trek premieres i'd say this one's pretty freaking solid it's great and you know the the tng premiere was good but it was a little boring it meanders it does and the deep space nine premiere i think was better than the tng premiere but it also kind of meanders. Gosh, I remember watching the Voyager premiere a few years ago with friends. It didn't stand out to me really at all. So in terms of premieres, I'd say the Enterprise has the strongest. It makes me want to continue the show, but the thing that is going to hold me back from continuing is the knowledge that I'm in for a rough ride for two seasons. Wait until you listen to my episode where I firmly recommend maybe a dozen episodes between the first and second seasons. 
and then just going to season three. And you won't have any problem with the story, figuring out the continuity of just the show, because that's how problematic the first couple years are. A lot of it just feels like repetitive Voyager stuff. I am perfectly satisfied with being someone who does not have to watch. I'm not a completionist by any means when it comes to media. Yeah, if I could find a solid recommendation list or if you could make one, I'll continue the show and get to the meat and potatoes of the third and fourth because they sound interesting. And if not for Stacy's scheduling problems, he was not into Trek at all, had never watched any Trek, and I actually got him started with Enterprise. And he loved it. You're a clever mastermind, Frank. <laughs> Technically, my first Trek was Wrath of Khan. Brilliant Trek. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially for like a six-year-old. Ooh, no, four. I was four watching Chekhov get that slug in his ear. Oh, it was so scary. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I did not watch that movie in its entirety until I was much older. Well, as we gear up for landing this bird, even though I did say that the first couple seasons are really rocky for Star Trek Enterprise, because to me, the franchise ended in 2005 when this show ended, I actually liked uh, Star Trek Beyond. I thought that was a pretty good one. It was a fun movie. Yeah, a little too late being the third one, but... So because I like the crew so much... Even some of the worst episodes of Enterprise, I'll still watch those bad episodes because as just a sci-fi show, it's fine. But in terms of Star Trek, it's not awesome. But the crew is so likable. It's like seeing old friends. And yeah, a lot of that is probably nostalgia. And in other shows, if you like the characters, it usually means you can accept some of the plot not being so great at times. It's going to be a tough one for me to continue this because I've seen all of the original series, TNG, and DS9. If we're being very honest with each other, have you seen all of TNG, Frank? Yes, I have. Okay. That first season is probably one of the worst seasons of television I have ever seen. Wow. The first season is awful of TNG. It has maybe two genuinely good episodes you know with deep space nine it was i would say consistently better in the first three seasons and for the most part it was just average watchable trek does anyone grow a beard in enterprise because beards are usually a marker of quality in later trek <laughs> when Riker grows his beard the show gets a lot better when cisco has his beard it gets better when he shaves his head it's amazing, almost consistently from the fourth season through the seventh season of Deep Space Nine. It's pretty great. There is something similar in Enterprise. I don't know if it's something agreed upon by fans, but personally, I would say... So they went through a few different wigs with T'Pol and just getting her makeup looking correct. She looks a little bit like a freaking zombie in this first episode. Very pale and green. In the third season, the start of the third season, they give her a nice outfit that isn't Starfleet standard, because again, she's not officially a member of Starfleet. That, coupled with a new hairstyle, 
that just looks great and they stuck with it through the end of the series that's pretty much your visual cue that the show has gotten better there you go (laughs) every trek since tng has had it at least i don't know if voyager has one but i know that tng and deep space nine have it and now it sounds like enterprise has it too that's what i will wait for if they gave you 200 million to make a star trek property what in your wildest dreams do you wish they would do with trek I think I would continue the Abrams verse. Oh my God, really? (laughs) (laughs) Really, the only reason why I would continue the Abrams verse is because I think they plan on continuing it anyways. There are all these rumors that Chris Hemsworth was coming back to reprise his role as Kirk's dad. I would want to take over production and writing on that movie, and it would be a mirror universe where the Enterprise goes through, like the whole ass ship goes through to the Mirror Universe with its crew, and it comes to -to face-to-face with the evil Enterprise, and it's Kirk's dad as the captain, because in that universe, instead of sacrificing himself to save everyone else... Oh, I love it. I love it. He (laughs) sacrificed everybody else to save himself. (laughs) So, like, he doesn't have a wife and kid that's Kirk. You have James T. deal with his father issues and finally having his dad back. Maybe he gets manipulated, but Spock's like, hey, dude, don't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> and then he has to kill his dad to save the universe because not so much the mirror universe, but now George Kirk knows about the good universe and wants to take that over and knows that everyone's a cream puff. Obviously, you have to give the mirror universe enterprise much better weapons so that a ship of the same size can still be a a really big threat to our enterprise. Well, and it would make sense because they would be so militaristic that they would develop their weapons more. Exactly, and so I think you could really do something interesting with that. I would want a new series that takes place maybe right at the end of Deep Space Nine or a couple years after so that we're pretty fresh off of the Dominion War. And I would want it to start with a text crawl or, or just uh, one title card that says, Everything that happened after Enterprise does not exist. Oh my goodness. So we start with the continuity with Deep Space Nine, or I guess technically Voyager would have taken place after DS9, right? But anyway, I wouldn't want to do it 200 years after that, because the future is the future. What's, you know, we don't need to go even further into the future. Yeah. Disavow everything after Enterprise... And it's funny that even in the Abrams universe, Enterprise is part of canon. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) And they even make references to Enterprise in the first movie and definitely the third movie, which I squealed a little when they (laughs) showed the uniforms in the third movie. Like, oh my God, they're making a reference to Enterprise. (laughs) That's funny. But do a new show and fill in the gaps I think in the way that this show does when it's really good, it fills in some continuity. All the questions that you can have about the universe, I'd like to see them more getting into the economy of the Federation when it seems like half the planets don't use money and the other half do. It's like, well, how do you fit those two together? Yeah, yeah. And not set it on a starship, on a Federation ship. Have it on a trawler or some other ship that isn't part of the Federation, 
so we can just see how everybody else lives because it seems like from the series everybody is in starfleet it does yeah so that i can you just want like a civilian job show as much as i like the idea of the utopia that the show presents i don't like that it seems the only way they achieved it is by having everybody become homogenous and seem to only have one goal in life and that's how they achieved their goals is by saying well we all want the same thing so it's great i guess you're right yeah i mean yeah not that i'd want to tear that down no let's maintain it but just make it a little more believable and just show how other people exist if you have a slightly different ideology how do you coexist with people in starfleet and how do you have a life if you don't know space travel very well because so much of their lives seem to be about traveling in space what if you're afraid of space what do you do you stay on earth what if there are more barclays out there Barkley's a great dude. I love the Barkley episodes. He's that example of what I'm talking about. He does not fit the mold very well. And if I'm anybody on that crew, I'm probably going to be Barkley. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making mistakes. I'm not the smartest guy on board. He, he really was like the perfect self-insert. And I like that they made him kind of like this weenie of a man because like I think that everyone who watches the show would think, oh, I'll be like a Kirk or a Riker someone really cool and action-packed and it's just the show telling you like no you'd be this guy you're gonna be balding boring barkley and isn't it telling that he's one of the few characters to show up in multiple series and he shows up in first contact well people like him and i don't blame them he's uh he's pretty great give me what you would say to somebody who's a prior fan of trek as far as watching this show I would just have to be honest with my experience and say the pilot episode is solid. I would tell them, you know, it's not as bad as everyone has made it out to be. However, when you have the option, skip the intro. Oh, right. Oh, I shouldn't have forgotten about that. So what did you think of the theme song? Terrible. I did not like the theme song, and I actually did a little bit of reading up on it, and I guess it's a theme song for Patch Adams that has been reworked in order to be the theme for Star Trek Enterprise. You know, I'm hearing the song, and I'm thinking like, oh man, I knew about the song beforehand, because it's just kind of a joke online. When I'm watching the credits, I'm just kind of like, wait, Diane Warren wrote this? what it's just it's not it's not a good song so yeah if i continue this show i'm definitely skipping that intro i mentioned to paul's hairstyle changes and that's when you know the show is good but at the same time that her hairstyle changes they actually changed the theme song to be up tempo and so it kind of sounds like karaoke version that's even worse it is even worse but don't let that stop you from watching it I like the feeling of the theme song, and I think the montage is really effective. The theme of seeing explorers throughout human history up until the first NX-01 ship. Those lyrics take me out of it. I wish it was just the music and not the singing. Yeah, I think the singing, it's very jarring. I don't mind it being like more of a soft rock song. It was just the singing was very strange. And a really good Rod Stewart impersonator. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, real good. <laughs>